Hallelujah. Well, tonight is going to be the start of four messages that I think will be very exciting about uh, the second coming of Christ. Well, there's been a lot of tension as we have been going these last few weeks through these chapters in Revelation that have just dealt with some of the most horrible things that will be taking place upon the earth. After we read Revelation 4, we, we started with worship, and we were so thrilled to see what, how heaven worshiped. We were thrilled to see the church there in worship, and then there comes the trumpets and the tragedies that follow, then come the seals and the tragedies that follow, and then comes the bowls with the wrath of God being poured out. We've seen stories of Satan, we've seen stories of Babylon the Great, and we've seen some incredibly powerful human figures that will come upon the scene. But I am so thankful because I know that's a tough slog, and I don't say slog in the sense of irreverence for the word, but sometimes when you're reading all of that, it's just so tough to read and walk through that because there are people that you love that if they miss the rapture, if they, if they don't give their hearts to Jesus and they miss the rapture, they could come to know Jesus, but they're going to have to endure a terrible time of suffering upon the earth. And, and we pray for that, that there will be many, and the Bible indicates there will be many that come to know Christ. But then... There are those people who, as we've looked at, they will still curse God, and they will deny God, and they'll die and spend an eternity in hell. So we've arrived at Revelation 19 tonight, and we're going to be looking for the next four weeks at four really great events on the prophetic calendar. First is the wedding feast of the Lamb that we're going to look at tonight. Then we're going to look at the literal second coming of Christ. Now, the second of coming of Christ, uh, it includes, when you're speaking about prophecy, it includes the rapture, it includes that seven-year tribulation period. It includes Christ literally coming back and putting his feet upon the earth and, and the battle that follows. And then we'll look at the millennial reign of Christ and we'll look at the great white throne judgment. I've often said to you, if you want to understand Revelation, you need to understand Genesis because Genesis gives you an understanding of how human's history got started. Revelation gives you an understanding of how this human story is going to end. So if you would, stand with me tonight for the reading of God's Word. We're just going to read 10 verses this evening, and uh, we're going to read Genesis chapter, excuse me, Revelation chapter 1 and uh, through verse 10. And after this, I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, praise the Lord, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just, and he has punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the murder of his servants. Now, you're going to see praise the Lord repeated four times here. And actually, this Hebrew word is, the, the Greek word that translates the Hebrew word is hallelujah, but hallelujah literally means praise the Lord. And this is the first time, these are the only four times that hallelujah is used in the New Testament in the, in the Greek language. So this is, you, when you see this, you really, really want to pay attention because you, you'll see the word hallelujah a lot in the Old Testament, but right here in the Revelation, uh, this, these, this fourfold uh, repetition of hallelujah, it's very, very important because right now what we're seeing, that first tr uh, triumphant sound of praise is, is the prostitute who represents everything that draws God's people away from him. Everything that draws us away, everything that would tempt us, not just, not just sex, but anything else that would draw us away from the Lord, God is judging her. And again, their voices ring out, praise the Lord, 
The smoke from the city ascends forever and ever. And then the 24 elders and the four living beings fell down and worshiped God who was sitting on the throne and they cried out, praise the Lord. Right, it's happening now is there, this is, the 24 elders represents the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints. It's the church. They're worshiping God because finally, the incineration of this spirit of evil that we've talked about. Remember, uh, you can't read this and go Babylon is, is literal Rome or literal uh, Nazi Germany or literal anything else. You know, some people want to say it's the United States. Babylon is a spirit, and we've talked about that, and I don't have time to repeat all that tonight, but if, if not, you can go back and listen online to the messages. And again, their voices rang out, praise the Lord. And the smoke from the city ascends forever and ever. Then the 24 elders and the four beings fell down, worshiped God who was sitting on the throne. They cried out, amen, praise the Lord. And from the vo- throne came a voice that says, praise our God and all his servants who fear him from the least to the greatest. And then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the clash of loud thunder. I, that's the church that's worshiping God tonight. I mean, that's what you're, tonight we can't see them, but the Bible's clear, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I don't know how much they know what's going on, but it's obvious from what we've already looked at, they know what's going on on this earth. They're cry, they have memory, they're crying out for, that God would avenge their martyrdom, they're crying out, they're interceding for those, they're praying, so we know they know something, but tonight we are gathered in the book of Hebrews says to a living Mount Zion, which is the church of the Lord. And then finally, that was a call to worship. Finally, praise the Lord for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us, be rejo- let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. She's been given the finest of pure white linen to wear for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And it's so fantastic that the angel said to me, and it's so fantastic. I added that. And the angel said to me, write this. This is exciting. Write this. Blessed are those who are happy, joyful are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And then he added, these are true words that come from God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship. And he's so overwhelmed. But he said, no, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for this tonight? This is powerful. I can remember as a youth pastor, we would lead our youth group in singing us, you know, praise the Lord God Almighty, and our kids would just jump and sing, and oh, to be young again, where I could jump up and down like they did when they were singing all the time, you know, sweating, you didn't care, you were just excited to love the Lord. Now, Mike, you're going to make me work extra hard, so I keep connecting with you over there, and you're a pretty little girl. Yeah, come on over here, buddy. So, let's join together and pray. Jesus, we love you, and tonight as we look at this wedding feast of the Lamb, I'm just asking you in the name of him who loved us and gave himself for us at Calvary and rose again on the third day and will come again. I pray you'll just open our eyes to the glories that await us, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, heaven will be filled with worship. I started out this entire series of telling you, if you really want to understand the book, then you have to understand that heaven is all about worship. Verse 1, after this, I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, 
Praise the Lord. Salvation and glory belong to our God. Can somebody shout praise the Lord tonight? Now you're helping me preach. Psalms 115 verse 13 says, He will bless those who fear the Lord, both great and lowly. It doesn't matter what estate you have in life. It doesn't matter if you're a slave. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're a king. From the greatest to the lowest of people, they're going to worship the Lord. And then in Romans chapter 58 and verse 10, the godly will rejoice when they see injustice avenged. They will wash their feet in the blood of the wicked, and then at last, everyone will say, there truly is a reward for those who live for God. Surely there is a God who judges justly here on earth. <clears throat> now, this is not calling for us to take vengeance. That's not what this is about. There are, there's a white Christian nationalist cult. They are not Christian, but they call themselves that. They're gathering bombs. They're gathering guns. They've been behind some of the murders and some of the things that have happened because they believe that God wants a white-only America. And so it's a cult and an aberration. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Can you say amen? That's, but so when you read this, it's looking ahead to Revelation. The New York Times, I, David Brooks, who I happen to read a lot, David Brooks is talking about a book that someone from our community, uh, Mitch Album, wrote. And he's talking about the, the, the sacredness of heaven here. But in this, he, he, he just calls out Album for missing what heaven and what the Bible says about heaven is all about. And I hope that doesn't offend you if you're a fan of Mitch Album. I've read his books, but he really does miss what heaven is all about. He says, in this heaven, God and his glory are not the center of attention, but it's all about you. Here, talking about Album's heaven, sins are not washed away. Instead, hurt is washed away. The language of good and evil is replaced by the language of trauma and recovery. There is no vice and virtue, no moral framework to locate the individual within the cosmic infinity of the universe. Instead, there are just the right emotions. Do you feel good about yourself? And I put the link in there if you want to read that. If you, if you can't download it, then I'll print you a copy that I have. It's hard it is hard for me as a Christian, and I'm sure it's hard for you as a Christian, to be comfortable in this world and with the things that this world values and the statuses that this world values. We look at what's happening in our world today and everything that, that God calls us to stand for, there's this, there's this attack that is going on against it. There are people right now calling out, have followed the, the, the call of Hillary Clinton in the last presidential campaign that evangelicals must change their mind. Washington State just passed a law, and, uh, and, and our, there's a number of churches right now that are being affected by it. A friend of mine's church in Washington State, uh, that the law says that churches are not exempted, that you have to pay for abortion if somebody from your, your church that works for you wants to have an abortion. And so what they're literally doing is going against the Supreme Court by claiming states' rights. So there is a lawsuit going on now because of, of religious freedom. Right across the border in Canada, the battle is much more intense than what it is right here. It is difficult. When I read this, and I'm, I'm talking fast because there's so much to go on, so I need you to listen fast. It is difficult when the judgments could affect your country. I love America. I love the metro area that we live in. I love this country. I pray for this country constantly. I, I love so many of the other countries that I, that I have visited. And so when I think about judgment, I think about not 
just some generic form of judgment. I realize that judgment is going to come upon people that I deeply care about. And sometimes people will ask me, they say, well, do you believe I'm going to hell since I'm not a Christian? And the, the question is not what I believe, and I always tell you, it's not what I believe, it's what Jesus has said. There is no way to God but through the Father. And hell, is a, as I said Sunday morning, it's a real place, it's a final place, and we have to deal with that. Jesus talked about hell more than he did heaven. And so when we read these hallelujahs about judgment, what they're rejoicing is, is that God's justice, it says the atrocities that have been committed against people by other people, the atrocities especially that have been committed against his people, those martyrs, God has taken note and God is moving to rectify the situation. People don't really care about justice until it affects them. And when it affects them, they want justice. And I have found that to be true over 43 years of being a pastor. When it comes to judgment, it is the compassion of God that delays judgment. The scripture is very clear that God's compassion is why he's delaying his judgment, waiting, giving people time to repent. I believe that's why in Daniel's 70th week, there is this period of tribulation where God is working with people, wanting them to come to repentance. God sends judgment for two reasons in the Bible. Number one, and this makes a fascinating study if you ever want to go through your Bible and study it. God sends judgment to stop oppression God sends judgment to stop oppression, but God also sends judgment to avenge oppression. God sends judgment to stop oppression, but he also sends judgment to avenge oppression. And if for some reason or another we look at our nation and we don't think that the United States is in a place where we could experience the judgment of God, then maybe we as the church need to repent because we're not taking sin as seriously, seriously as we should in our nation and what it is doing to the lives of people in our world today. It's, it's, it's just very important. So I would say pray more than ever. I hope you're fasting with us on this 40-day fast. I would intercede. I would, if you haven't been through discovering how to share your faith, I would get through that because, you know, I, I, I know we can't set dates, but I can tell you we're a lot closer to the coming of Jesus than Martin Luther was, and Martin Luther believed he was coming in his day. We're a lot closer to the coming of Jesus than Jonathan Edwards was, and as far as I'm concerned, Jonathan Edwards is the greatest theologian the United States ever produced, but we're a lot closer to the judgment, to the return of Christ than, than, than Edwards was. Friends, it could be today. It could be tonight. And I have one theological, two theological words to say about that hot dog. I mean, I am ready for him to come. Aren't you? Let's give him a hand of praise for that. It's exciting to me. Well, we can experience a little of heaven right now when we worship God. We can, I, I, just a little bit of heaven tonight as we worship the Lord. You say, Pastor, what can I worship God for? Uh, you know, if you read these 10 verses very carefully, I'm gonna give you just a few reasons that come out of these verses. I could give you many more from the whole Bible, but you can thank God right now for salvation. I mean, they're giving him thanks that they've been saved from their sins. They're in heaven because of that. They're giving God thanks right now for his righteous judgments. 
I mean, they are, they are thrilled that this power has been defeated. And, and when we get to where we see that the, the, the Antichrist and the beast and, and Satan is going to be cast into the lake of fire, friends, this is good news. Imagine what those people in the Holocaust must have felt when they were liberated by the Allies. Imagine what they must have felt when Hitler's power was destroyed. Imagine tonight, the, or remember tonight, I should say, the rejoicing that took place in the United States when Osama bin Laden was taken out because of the scar and what it's done to our nation. We had a young man from our community that died in those World uh, Trade Center towers. His mother has worshiped with us here. I prayed with her because she lost a son in those World Trade Center towers, and we rejoiced. And it's not that we were wicked and we were wanting to dance on his grave. At least I hope you weren't. It's just that we were glad justice was being served. Does that make sense to you? So thank God for his righteous judgments. We can thank him as the church did in heaven there. I forgot to turn my iPad off and Christopher's trying to call me. Uh, we can thank him right now for the wedding feast of the Lamb. You've got an invitation. You've got an invitation. In a few weeks, you're gonna, or a few days or whenever, you're going to get an invitation from, from Chris and, and from Rachel to their wedding. I'm going to be there. Hot dog, I can't wait. I, you're, I've gotten so many invitations to weddings, and I love them. And up here in Michigan, it's even better because y'all have a real food. We have pimento cheese sandwiches and crackers down south and the Sunday school wing after a wedding, you know. But you can have a real banquet. There's a wedding feast of the Lamb. And then you can thank him right now for the victory because they just declare victory has come. So say it with me tonight. Come on, victory. Come on, victory. Hot dog. Weddings are times of great joy. Weddings are times of great joy. That's the reason there's so much rejoicing. You've come through chapter 16, 17, 18, and oh, was it a slog coming through there. And I, I remember I told you, I said, I know some of this is going to sound depressing, but you, you have to see the plan of God and what God is doing. And when you come to those difficult, when you come to those difficult parts of Scripture, and, and listen carefully because I don't want you to miss this, when you come to those difficult parts of Scripture, I don't pretend to understand it all. But I just have to bow my head at times and I go, God, I don't understand it all, but I trust you. I believe you. You're a good God. Amen? Amen. And so now that we get to this, this is easy to rejoice because we're going to be there. We're going to be there in the presence of our Savior. We're going to be at that wedding supper. You see, in the days of the Bible, marriages were arranged by families. In the days of the Bible, you just didn't let two young people go out and choose their wife or their husband. You know, I was talking to a couple that I'm counseling with right now before they get married, and I said, you know, you, you have to understand something. You're so young. You are so young. And yet, when we get done with these 12 weeks of counseling, I'm going to give you the best that I can, but you are so young. And do you realize, outside of giving your life to Jesus, you are making the most important decision of your life. You're going to get old and wrinkled and saggy together if you obey the Lord. And all of a sudden, he looked at her and he goes, no. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it happens to all of us, you know. It's just families, families arrange the marriages. Take it like this. And I've been in cultures where this happens. Maybe we have, Becky and I have a six-year-old son. Wouldn't that be wonderful to have another one, a six-year-old son? Yes, come on, Victory. That's the first time she's ever nodded her head. I didn't say grandson now. 
a six-year-old son, and you had a five-year-old daughter, Grammy, and, and we got together and we said, you know what, let's arrange a marriage for these kids. And there is a betrothal. They are, they are engaged. And so my six-year-old son can go to kindergarten and say, I'm engaged. You know, that's, that's how this happened. Look at this. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. You see, G Mary and Joseph were betrothed to each other probably while they were children. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, Paul is, is talking like a, a father, and in a sense he was. He was a father. He had preached the gospel to these people. He had reached them for Jesus Christ. And he says, I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. You see, there's that sense of, of, of engagement or the King James, I love that King James word, espousal. There's that sense of engagement. He's saying, I promised you to Christ. And so as a pastor, he's, he's writing them. He's watching over them. He's appointed pastors in that church. And there's some real problems in the church. And they're about to devour each other. And that can happen to the best of people, can it? It can happen to the best of marriages, the best of families, the best of churches, the best of companies. If we're not careful to guard what God has given to us. Uh, again, from um, the Quest Study Bible, if you have that Bible, I, I clip these notes out of there. There were two important steps to a Jewish marriage. The betrothal, the promised agreement to marry, and the actual wedding ceremony. The two events were often separated by an extended period of time during which the couple remained faithful to one another, though the wedding ceremony was not yet finalized. Typically, you know, there was this, once they announced it, there was this year. And our betrothal to Christ takes place at the point of salvation, but the wedding occurs when Christ the bridegroom comes to take his bride. You're a bride tonight. And I told you last week, when I was getting you ready for this message, that's kind of hard for me to think like that. And, and I'll try to show you a little bit more of that in just a moment. Look here at Hosea 1-2, because I want to show you how important this is. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. And this will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. God's people were, were betrothed to him. He, he was like a husband to them, and yet they were unfaithful to him. It's the story of the backslider. They were unfaithful to him. So to illustrate it, God tells the prophet Hosea, he says, I want you to marry a prostitute. I'm going to use your marriage as an example. Can you imagine the pain that that must have caused Hosea? Can you imagine what that must have done? But Hosea married her, and then Hosea goes on, and this is the power of love. Hosea goes on to say he, he loved her. I mean, imagine, he knew the kind of woman he was marrying, but he went, he, 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 he rescued her, and he lavished his love upon her. He lavished gifts upon her. And yet, at some point, she got tired of the marriage, and she went back to her adulterous ways, and she went back into prostitution. And this time during her prostitution, uh, she was used by so many men that she became desolate, and she was in slavery, and Hosea went and bought her, went and this time purchased her out of slavery, brought her back, lavished her with love, lavished her with the gifts again. And if you read the book of Hosea, God is showing how his people were turning away from them. 
Friends, hear me tonight. What God is saying is God says in Genesis, I made you, but you fell in the Garden of Eden. So in the Gospels, I sent my son Jesus, as I promised in Genesis chapter 3, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, and I sent my son to redeem you. I made you, and I bought you with the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? <laughs> Hallelujah. <clears throat> now I'm going to retell the gingerbread story. And I got this from shepherdpress.com. <clears throat> when our children were little, we, we bought them these Christian mother goose tales and mother goose stories, and so we could bring values out of it. But uh, a young African man rewrote the gingerbread story. And there was this little girl one time that she loved to bake gingerbread men. And she baked a gingerbread man, and when she pulled him out of the oven, she put the raisins on his eyes, and she made the little buttons on him, and suddenly he jumped up and ran away, and she chased him as fast as she could but she couldn't catch him and therefore she lost him and the next day she's walking by a cookie shop and she sees the gingerbread man in the cookie store and she walks in and says to the owner of the cookie store that's my gingerbread man I want him back and he says well you can have him for 10 cents but she says I made him he's my gingerbread man and he says for 10 cents you can have him and so in the story the little girl goes back and she earns 10 cents and she comes back and she buys the gingerbread man and she takes it home and she takes care of it. Now that's a lot different than the gingerbread man story that get eats up by the fox. I like my version better, okay? But here's what I'm pointing out to you. Her love was what pursued her to pay the price to buy him back again. It was love that sent Christ to Calvary to buy us back and to forgive us of our sins. Can we give him another hand of praise for that tonight? This is... Now you understand why this wedding supper is such a big deal. We will know why we're there. We will know why we're there. We will know that Christ purchased us. Brides were prepared in the, in the Bible. They're still prepared today. As a pastor, I have a little bit of different position than most of you have. I see weddings from up here, and I do a lot of weddings. And in my position as a pastor, I have noticed this. It takes a lot of preparation for a bride. You know, they spend weeks getting ready for a bride, for the bride. The groom and I typically walk out from over here. Nobody pays attention to us. It's not right. Nobody, you chat, you're talking to each other. You've got your phones out. There's some soft music playing typically over here. And then when we get, we stand here and, and, and maybe somebody will look and they'll kind of make a joke at the groom because he looks so nervous and he's a little blue at the gills. And suddenly the music stops, those back doors open, and then walk the bride and the father and everybody jumps up and starts clapping the music crescendos and people begin to play because here comes the bride guys I really kind of like that because for you and me all we got to do is show up that's all anybody cares about if we just show up but for the bride, she's prepared, and God has been preparing his church. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepared and ready like a bride dressed to meet her husband. Matthew 22, verse 8, then he called his servants and said to them, my wedding feast is ready, but the people I invited did not deserve it. These were the people that didn't prepare because there was a custom that you were supposed to wear a certain type of clothing to the wedding in those days, and 
because they didn't wear that clothing. They didn't deserve, and so they were cast out of the wedding. In Isaiah 61, verse 10, I'm overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with clothing of salvation. He has draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. We are living our lives in this moment of history in 2019 here on a Wednesday night on March the 13th. We are living our lives getting ready for the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's what we're doing. And you ask, why? Well, why is there any wedding? Because somebody loves somebody. That's why there's a wedding. The bride and the bridegroom love each other. It's the only reason for a wedding. And I got to tell you something. Jesus, look at me, don't miss this. Jesus loves us more than you'll ever know. Jesus loves you in ways that you've never dreamed of. And sometimes we get so caught up in the things of this world, the anxieties and the cares of this world, they weigh us down. You have no idea. You have no idea how much God loves you. You have no idea how excited and how he, he's, he's been waiting. He's been waiting for this time because no man knows the hour. No man knows the time. A lot of people try to set a time for it. But the Father knows, and the groom, Jesus, is ready for us. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, read it with me, Christ loved the church. Let's say it again. Christ loved the church. Now, the bride is given pure white linen. This is not like a bridal dress that you think of now. This is symbolic. Again, we've talked about the symbolism. Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. That word given that I had you write down, that's an important word because we are not there because we've earned our way there. We have been given the pure white linen. Christ shed blood is what has cleansed us from our sins. And as the prophet Isaiah said, he would make us white, though our sins be like scarlet, he would make us whiter than snow. We are given the gift of righteousness. We are given a right standing with God. We are, when we, our sins are forgiven, we are, it's just as though, that's what justified means, just as if I had never sinned. We are given that. Mike, all of our sins are washed away. God justifies us, and before, the, and before the judgment seat of Christ, it will be as though we have never sinned because of what Christ has done for us. Revelation chapter 3, excuse me, Romans chapter 3 and verse 9, just listen for a moment. Should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we've already shown that all people, whether Jew or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. The law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And so we're standing there not because we've been super duper good. We're standing there not because we're the best. We're standing there because of what Christ has done for us. White linen from the Old Testament through the New Testament wasn't a perfume. White linen 
was the kind of clothes you wore to worship the Lord. Now this is going to be very important in just a moment. So don't just take that as I'm giving you a symbolism here. It's very, very important. What it represents is the gift of righteousness, but the Bible's very clear. We live out our salvation by our good deeds. You see, the mark that you've been forgiven, the mark that you've been justified, let you write that down because I, I want you to miss this. The mark that you've been forgiven, the mark that you've been justified is that you live, you work out your salvation, you do good to other people. You see, if you ask the average man or woman, why are you going to heaven? They say, well, I, I observe the golden rule. I'm a good man. I'm a good woman. That's not why you go to heaven. If you're hoping to go to heaven because of that, Isaiah is very clear. Our sins are like filthy rags. I mean, our righteousness is like filthy rags. We are given, we are given the gift of righteousness. And then we work out the gift of righteousness, not trying to earn our way to God, but because we love Jesus and we love people. Some people are polite because it takes them far in life. Some people do good things for others because it helps them to get promoted. But we do right because we love God and we love people. And as I said Sunday morning, how we treat other people reflects what we think about God. Does that make sense? So, what I want you to see, and remember I told you this would be important, is compare the bride's simple white linen to the great prostitute's garments. Compare the bride's and the great prostitute's garments. The woman, remember we talked about her being that religious system riding on the back of the beast, and then the beast will turn upon her and devour her. We looked at that two weeks ago. The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. And in her hand, she held a gold goblet full of obscenities and the impurities of her immorality. If you remember, we talked about there's nothing wrong with the gold. There's nothing wrong with those, the clothes. That's not the point of this. The point, if you remember, and I, I want to go back, is she was doing this at the expense of everybody else. She was using religion to profit from. She was using religion to, 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 to grow rich herself. And there have always been people that have tried to use whatever religion it is. Unfortunately, some people have tried to use the church to personally enrich themselves and, aggreg and, and aggregate to themselves worldly wealth and power like she was doing. But when the government systems grow tired of her, they will turn upon her because the Antichrist was going to set himself up as, as, as Christ and is going to demand to be worshipped the way the Caesars were. At the wedding feast, though, Comparing the pure white linen to the gaudiness of the great prostitute, the bride is honored. The bride is honored. When that back door opens, it happens every time. I laugh. Sometimes I stand here laughing and I'll look at the groom and he'll just shake his head. Because I tell him, I said, you watch, watch, because I'm talking to him alone. So I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Nobody's going to care about you and me up there. Don't be bitter about that. We really like that. The less they notice us, the better. But what's going to happen is all the women are going to go, ah, oh, and they do that. And all the guys, and I tell him, I said, all those guys are sitting there looking at your bride going, wow, she'd never look this good. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's exactly what's happening. There is going to be a moment in heaven when all the creation, you read it just now, all the creation is going to stop. 
Everyone is going to stand as the bride. The, the Son of God himself will stand like he stood for Stephen, and he will receive his bride. God himself has ordained this to come. And friends, I'm telling you, every time that you and I do a good deed, every time you and I serve someone, every time you and I bless someone, every time you and I tithe, every time you and I pray or fast, every time we help a child, every time we send a kid to camp, we're making the bride of Christ just a little bit more beautiful. Can we give him a hand of praise for that tonight? That's what's happening. When the hungry are being fed and when the prayer services are, the bride is being made just a little bit more beautiful. Don't ever imagine for one moment that your good deeds go unnoticed by God. God sees everything you do and he loves you. Now, let's look at this for just a moment because I want you to see how Christ loves the church. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. You know what my daddy's last words to my mother was? We laugh about this. We don't know where this came from. We have no clue where this came from. Mama has no clue where it came from. His very last words to my mama were this. He looked at her, opened his eyes, because he'd been in the real days, and he says, Louise, I would have killed for you. And he rode over and died. <laughs> that was my daddy's last words. When my daddy, my daddy meant that. I mean, he would give his life for his family. He would give his life for his, that's, that's the way he, he lived. We know that. We sit around sometimes and going, Mama, we just wish you had a more romantic story to tell than Daddy said, I'd kill for you. And my mama's eyes would tear up. She says, oh, but that was romantic. You know, she understood. And when I read this again in preparation for this message, I thought about Daddy. He, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean and washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one who hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. Circle that phrase. Christ cares for the church. A lot of people say they love you but then they won't care for you. Words can be very cheap. You know that? How many times do you remember when you were younger when somebody said, I love you, just hoping to get something from you? We've become older and wiser. But Christ, his deeds match his words. Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body, as the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Remember what Jesus prayed? I pray, Lord, that they may be in you even, and that I may be in them, that we may be one. What happens on that wedding night? And I talk to these young couples, your wedding night is so important. The consummation of your love, somehow or another, this is the mystery of human sexuality. And when people become bedmates before they become soulmates, they miss this. 
the beauty of human sexuality is on that night, somehow or another, that act makes a couple one in the eyes of God. I can't wait. I'm telling you, this is one of those things that's kind of hard for me to process as a guy. But when I talk to Becky, it helps me understand so much more. But I can't understand this. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect the husband. Doesn't this Revelation 19 help you understand Ephesians 5 just a little bit better? Well, it gets better. It was so wonderful. John was overwhelmed. I mean, it was so wonderful that John was absolutely overwhelmed. He, he's full of joy. Can you imagine you're, 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 you're caught up into heaven in some way? I, I don't know if it was literal. I don't know if it's in the spirit. We know he said I was in the spirit as the Lord gave him these messages. But can you imagine what it must have been like for Lazarus to have to come back and die all over again? You know, Smith Wogglesworth prayed for his wife and she was raised from the dead while he was praying for her. And she looked at him and said, Smith, let me go. It's better with Jesus. So he let her go and she died again. That's a real story, documented story. Friends, hear me tonight. Heaven is going to be beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations. And John is so overwhelmed that the angel, look at the angel's got to tell him, say, look, this is really true. <laughs> I mean, have you ever had such good news that somebody had to tell you, no, this is really true because you didn't believe them? And I think something's happening with John. The angel said to me, right, blessed are those invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he goes, John, these are true words that come from God. John, get it. Do you get it? Good. This is true. We're going to heaven. And I'm telling you, the more I think about heaven lately, the more excited I get. Well, John was so overwhelmed that he fell down at his feet to worship this angel, but the angel says, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Blessed. That means they're happy. That just means they're just, they're so happy. Have you ever just sat around and thought about what heaven was going to be like? Have you ever just tried to imagine? Have you ever done like I've done? You've gone out to the metro park sometime to get away from the noise and just found a place you could stretch out in the grass and look up in the sky and say, Jesus, I wish you'd come right now. Not because life is bad, but I just want to see him. I've buried so many people that I want to see again that I know are in heaven. This week, a man that I recently buried, Bill Balo, here from the church, one of his daughters sent me the most precious gift with the most encouraging word in there. And I just, I looked at that. Her daddy loved the book of Isaiah, his Bible. I remember I preached out of his Bible. It was all marked up in the book of Isaiah. And she sent me a, a Jewish copy of the, of the Old Testament book of Isaiah. It's just making me long to see Bill even more. Remember in Revelation 5, we were taken to heaven to behold the glory. They sang a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. We sang it tonight, worthy is the lamb. And then I heard every creature in heaven, on earth and under the earth and in the sea. Now listen, every creature on, in heaven, on earth and under the earth and in the sea, 
They sing blessing, honor, and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne of the Lamb forever and ever. I, now this is Dennis, okay? You can, you can delete this if you want to, but I can take you through the Bible and show you now why I believe this. I believe there are going to be some talking animals in heaven. Now, I don't necessarily mean that your puppy's going to be in heaven. I know there are going to be any cats in heaven. <laughs> Sorry, Debbie. Even Judy's over here. <laughs> but C.S. Lewis was trying to capture that in Narnia. You remember when Aslan began to sing the new heaven and the new earth, the new creation? If you've read those Narnia stories, do you remember when he began to sing that? And there were certain, and you remember the, the cabbie and his horse in London? And suddenly the horse began to talk and the cab driver was made all new and, and the cab driver said, I am so sorry for the way I treated you. And he says, oh no. And he was kind of whinnying like a horse. As, as if you've listened to Focus on the Family's audio stories of those, oh no, you were a good cabbie. And they're just talking. And I remember the first time I was crying. I was just thinking, wow, we, it has not entered into our minds yet what heaven's going to be like. I know there's going to be a horse. You'll see that next week, okay? I know there's going to be a horse. So if there's going to be a horse, there's got to be lions and tigers. And that's a cat, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, big cats. Well, the lion will lay down with the lamb in the new Jerusalem. It's going to be... I, is, do, do you sense what I'm sensing? God's putting an... I remember waiting for our wedding day. I remember just talking to Becky and just waiting and just feeling like it was never going to get here. I can remember my cousin, who's as loyal to me as the day is long, because my reprobate brother-in-laws, I knew were going to do horrible things to my car. And so my cousin went and pulled every one of their coil wires up back in the day when you still had, do you still have coil wires? Pulled them all off their cars so they couldn't chase us. And we went out, got in our car, and they're laughing because they really messed up our car. It was X-rated car, by the way. And, and so then my cousin pulls up in my father-in-law's car, and we jump into my father-in-law's car, and we take off for our honeymoon. I remember just laughing. I had Becky. I pulled her across the seat, put my arm around her. I couldn't get to Hotlanta fast enough. <laughs> I remember. That's how I feel about heaven right now. One day we're going to be there. Paul, I was called up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know I was called up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. No human is allowed to tell. I mean, what must he have seen? And honey, if you'll come on up the piano. What must he have seen? And friends, look at me. You're going to be one of three places in Revelation 19. You're either going to be in heaven before the throne of God like they are, or you're going to be on earth enduring the rigors of the tribulation, or you're going to be in hell. And now the time of mercy and grace is being extended so you can be at the wedding supper of the Lamb. John was so overwhelmed with the joy of heaven. The angel said, these are true words. 
God says, to all who put their faith in Christ, you were accepted, you were beloved, you were saved. I know I sound like that movie, but you are accepted, you are beloved, you are saved. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. You're accepted. By one sacrifice, he is forever set free. He is forever set free from the sin, the people he belongs to God. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Charles Spurgeon says, Repentance is to leave the sins we loved before and show that we in earnest grieve by doing so no more. I want to tell you why I like that definition of repentance. Because sometimes people think repentance is all about crying. That's the way we show our grief. But real grief is shown for sin by doing the good deeds that we've been saved to do. Every time I do right, I'm showing I've repented of my sins. And how do I do right? By the power of God that dwells. It's no good in me. It's the power of God that dwells in me. It's the Holy Spirit. And then finally tonight, the angel says something to John that is so powerful. The Holy Spirit empowers us to talk about Jesus. He empowers us to talk about Jesus for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. When you're witnessing for Christ, you're telling the good things that God has done in your life, you're being prophetic. Sometimes people try to make a big deal of the prophetic and set up, you know, I've had people come to church and tell me they were a prophet and they wanted to, you know, they, God was telling them they had something they wanted to say to our church and I go, well, you can tell me I'm the pastor and Oh, no, I, I've got to come, and they want an offering. They're not a prophet. They're a puny little charlatan is what they are. I was in a service. A.J. was walking with me, and I told him about this one guy who called me, was a, said he was a prophet, and told me he could see me and all this stuff. And I don't know why I get some of these kooky calls sometime, you know. And I was like, oh, wow. So... We're at a meeting, I told A.J. about it, and we're standing, and all of a sudden, A.J. says, listen. And I listened, and this guy was saying to another guy the very same silly stuff he had said to me. And I turned around and I says, hey, prophet. You know, you can do that, and it's fun. I said, you said that to me on the telephone, and then you hung up on me when I wouldn't let you come preach at my church. That guy could not get out of there fast enough. The other man came over and shook my hand, shook my hand. You see, the essence of prophecy is to talk about Jesus. Not Woodland, not me, but to talk about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I gotta tell you, There are sometimes, and, and I believe deeply in spiritual gifts. I pray in the Spirit. If you're visiting with us, I pray in tongues every day of my life. Sunday in Discovering Woodland, I was talking to somebody, and they, they were telling me about, you know, their prayer and wanting to pray in the Spirit. And I said, look, don't focus on praying in tongues. That's not, that, you can't find that anywhere to focus on tongues in the New Testament. Just love Jesus. And when he's ready, he'll give it to you if he wants you to have it. Just focus on Jesus. 
I had a Baptist pastor just recently call me and says, he's baptized me in the Holy Spirit. I'm praying in the Spirit. He says, I didn't even know what I was doing. He said, I knew I was talking, but I don't know what I was saying. I said, that's all right. The Bible says, Paul says, when you pray in the Spirit, you're not talking to people, you're talking to God. Paul says, my understanding is unfruitful, but I'm going to do it anyway. And then he makes this boast, and he says it, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Now, having said that, this is why I'm tagging that on at the end. Praying in the Spirit helps me to witness. I have many, many friends are their excellent evangelists. They're better evangelists than I am. They don't pray in the Spirit. So, Praying in the Spirit doesn't make me more spiritual. Does that make sense? Praying in the Spirit doesn't mean I'm better used of God than other people are. Praying in the Spirit helps me because maybe I'm not as good or as smart or as sharp as they are. Do you understand what I'm saying? I need all the helps I can get. And I told you just a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning, my ministry as pastor is not enough. We need all the gifts of the Spirit, the ministry gifts of the Spirit working through the congregation of the church. People need to know about Jesus. Amen? Well, I hope I didn't wear you out tonight, but this is good stuff, right? Stand with me. Let me pray with you tonight before you go home. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Your name is still the sweetest name I know, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus, I thank you that we're standing here because you loved us. We're standing here tonight because you care for us. God, it's not any righteousness. It's not any good deeds that we have done that has saved us. We are just simply saved by the amazing grace of God. Lord, blood stains, but there's something about your blood that washes us whiter than snow. There's something about your blood, Lord, that frees us from our sins. And God, we pray for our nation, we pray for our community tonight, because Lord, we fear your judgments. We fear them like a child that knows his daddy loves him, but he will punish him. He will correct him in order to save him when he does wrong. And so though you may correct us, though you may discipline us, we still run to your arms the way a son runs to a loving father. Not an abusive God, not an abusive father. But we thank you too that a day is coming, Lord, in this world after the bloodiest century of the last century. And this century in its first two decades, Lord, have been even bloodier and the, the martyrs' bloods are flowing tonight. How much longer, Lord, until Jesus comes? Help us to remember tonight that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. So we pray while there's still time that we will be compassionate and that we will share the story of Jesus with everyone who will listen.
God, prepare the hearts of the people on our impact list. And thank you. Everyone here is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, I, I just can't let you go tonight without giving you an opportunity. Boy, if you've, and I don't think you have been because you're here on a Wednesday night, but maybe the Holy Spirit is touching you and saying, you know what? You're in danger of just backsliding or maybe you have backslidden. I told the story of Hosea and the little gingerbread man just so you would know God will do whatever it takes to save you. Would you ask him right now to forgive you of your sins? Repent by doing the things you did at first and loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love others. And accept the fact tonight, accept the fact tonight that God led me to tell those two stories so you would come back to faith. Sold out as a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. I love you so much. Thanks for being here tonight.